Welcome to episode two of the Scrap Cave Podcast. For those of y'all tuned in to episode one, that's right, it's no longer the scrapyard. We found there's a lot of people that have a podcast called the scrapyard, so we had to scrap that. <laughs> we are now moving forward with the scrap cave. I mean, I think we should put the first one out just because we're in the middle of recording the second one. And I just said, hey, welcome to episode two of the Scrap Cave. Well, ladies and gentlemen, as you can see, this is a fluid situation that we have going on here. So what we got going on this week is we are now in the very beginning of the restart. We are literally at halftime right now, the Pelicans jazz game. So we'll be discussing basketball a little bit later on in the show. What we're going to get off and start with today is baseball. Baseball, ladies and gentlemen, has officially had its first two conundrums. The first one we discussed in episode one, which is the Marlins, pretty much the entire team getting COVID, and is now quarantined in some state that we're not aware of. What recently happened was Joe Kelly of the Dodgers. Dodgers-Astros reunite for the first series since the World Series. So, of course, things are going to fly. Emotions are hot. The whole scandal of them cheating the last two years. Shortened season. No fans, so no booing. You know these guys are angry. And sure enough, sure enough, first game, Joe Kelly, intentionally or non-intentionally, they'll know, misses high and to the head, which is not cool. With a slider, ladies and gentlemen, a slider, not a fastball, a slider. He then proceeds to strike out Carlos Correa and then belittle the man, which I thought was hilarious because we've never seen a grown athlete make pouty lips at another grown athlete and it be shown. It was fantastic. I thought it was just fantastic. What wasn't fantastic was that Major League Baseball went and gave this man an eight game suspension. Now, let's take this into context 60 game season. Roster starting at 30, they'll go dwindling down to 28, and then eventually 26. 60-game season, eight-game suspension. These guys already are getting like an eighth of their paycheck to begin with. You're going to find this man, and you're going to suspend this man for not hitting somebody, not getting a warning in the middle of the game for almost hitting somebody, and then putting pouty lips after striking another grown-ass man out. Now, Tell me if that makes any sense to y'all, because it doesn't make any sense to me. And from everything I heard this morning throughout all the sports talk shows, it really doesn't make sense to anybody who's not a 60-year-old white baseball historian. And when I say historian, I mean that quote-unquote. These are the same keepers of the game that are refusing to let in the likes of Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, into the Hall of Fame. During a steroid era where everybody profited from, Baseball knew about it, needed it, and they also let in the commissioner, who was also an owner of a team at the exact same time. That man is also in the Hall of Fame, Buzz Selig, ladies and gentlemen. But you're not going to let people who may or may not have failed a drug test into the Hall of Fame. These are the same assholes that are now giving Joe Kelly an eight-game suspension for missing somebody with a slider and then giving him the pouty lips. I don't know about you, but I think it's a perfect example of exactly why baseball has a total of six black people in it. That's right. There's probably like six black people. I can name three of them, but I'm not going to because I'm not going to insult the other. I don't think I don't know if it's accurate, but.
but I can tell you there's no more than 15 black players, African-American players in baseball. Baseball fails to realize that the majority of baseball players, and especially the majority of the good ones, are all Hispanic. All of them. There's a few white guys that are really good. You got your Mike Trouts. You got your Max Scherzers. You got your Verlanders. They're pretty much the quarterbacks of baseball, the pitchers. And one dude that hits really well but doesn't like to talk. But they gave this guy a game suspension. It's totally fucking ridiculous. He's going to suspend. He's going to appeal it. He's probably going to get a five or four game suspension. But this is exactly what's wrong with baseball. They're protecting this team that was caught cheating, benefited from it by winning a championship. And now they're actually protecting them. But yet they refuse to protect the likes of Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, and all these other individuals who helped save baseball because baseball was about to fucking lose its shit after the 94 strike when nobody wanted to give a fuck and watch baseball because they sabotaged themselves, which they will do again after the season, ladies and gentlemen, because we will have another labor strike. I guarantee it. I'm saying it right now. It's going to happen. It's going to go down, and baseball is going to be no longer one of the top three sports. They're going to go right behind soccer, which if you fall behind soccer in the United States of America in regards to liking a sport, you might as well consider yourself a cornhole league and be on like ESPN2, Deportes, or ESPN8, The Ocho. That's fantastic, by the way. You should watch that. So that's my rant on Joe Kelly. That's my rant on bullshit-ass baseball. But we're going to update baseball, and more importantly, we're going to update my picks because I consider myself somewhat of a baseball savant. Not really, but for the likes of this podcast, I'm going to call myself a baseball savant. So I predicted in episode one that the Yanks and Rays would be the top of the AL East. That is currently where we stand right now as they're both one and two in the division. In the central, we have the Twins holding me down and Cleveland being a pain in my ass because the White Sox are pooching the shit right now. So as of right now, I'm kind of eating some crow on Cleveland. Good for you. I still think you're trash and you're not going to do anything in the long run. And in the AL West, we got Houston, which I told you I wouldn't disrespect them because they got too much talent on that team. They're leading the division, followed tied up with Oakland, but I think their percentage points ahead of them. The NL, I really don't care about the NL, to be honest with you, but the entire National League. I just got a text message. I don't even know how that's possible, but they just came at me for completely forgetting to talk about where everybody is in those stands. So I apologize for that, even though I really don't care about you, but baseball cares about you, so I will. National League East. Surprise, surprise. The Miami Marlins are in first place, ladies and gentlemen. This now can start all the conspiracy theories about why they decided to give everybody else in the National League COVID. You heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. Derek Jeter wants the Marlins to stay in first place forever. COVID was the answer. That's messed up, man. That's messed up, Derek. You're better than that, baby. You're better than that. But you got to do what you got to do. Times are hard. Atlanta and uh, the Mets are tied for second place. But Atlanta has them by percentage points. Interesting. In the Central, I called the Cubs. They're in first place. The Brewers are in second place, surprisingly, but not surprisingly, I guess. Cardinals are right behind them on their tails. Cincinnati trash of the division because Cincinnati's trash. And in the West, surprisingly, the Colorado Rockies are in first place. This now goes to my theory that every team, trash or not, has an opportunity because the Giants are in fourth place, but they're only a game behind the Dodgers 
and the Padres, who are tied for second place. It's craziness. It's the first week. I can't wait. Still don't think we're going to get through 60 games. But that's where we stand as of Thursday, 9 o'clock. Yankees are in a rain delay. My man Giancarlo Stanton is out here doing the damn thing. Shout out to you. Yankees look great. Hopefully, Gliber Torres, nothing serious. I'm sure you're going to be okay. Basketball is back, ladies and gentlemen. Basketball is back. It's amazing. I can't wait to talk about it. Brandon Ingram and Jordan Clarkson are going at it, and it's phenomenal. Phenomenal. And my man, Joel, one of my mans, he's sweating right now because we got a bet, and we all tied up with 48.5 seconds left. We'll be back to you after these messages from our sponsor. Psych, we ain't got no sponsor. <laughs> we be back, yo. <laughs> I cut it, DJ. Cut it. It's all interesting right now. Baseball is in the headlines because they only put support to start. But basketball is officially back. The NFL deadline is Saturday for players to opt out. So we'll have a better understanding of what fantasy football will look like after Saturday because let's all be honest with each other. We're going to care about fantasy football because your team may or may not be in it. But your fantasy football teams, and I say teams because most people are in multiple leagues, always have a chance. And that's what's more important because money is on the line. All right. So we're going to get to some basketball later. We're going to get to some baseball, some more baseball later, and some more football. But right now, fuck the major leagues. I stand with Joe Kelly. Next time, hit them niggas. Give them more pouty lips. And then laugh about it, because now you've gone viral for pouty lips as a grown-ass man. Good for you, Joe Kelly. Good for you. All right. So, next thing we're going to discuss here is college sports is really trying it. Let me be more specific. College football is really going to try it. Here's my problem with that. Amongst many problems, my biggest issue is, what is the testing protocol? In college sports. NBA, we know they're getting tested every day. Baseball, it's a loose every other day, which that's probably going to tighten up now after the whole Marlins thing. NFL, I think it's still to be undetermined. They said 14 days, but I don't see how they can stop testing after 14 days. But what is the protocol for the 18 to 22-year-old athlete who is not part of a union doesn't get paid to play, and is essentially going to be on a college campus, more than likely, while every other student is working and taking classes at home, virtually, while still being able to make whatever kind of side money they want to on the side. Because remember, the athlete is the only one that can get paid for everything they do. Everybody else can make money while still attending college. Kind of crazy. But anyway, what's that testing protocol like? Right? We had stories coming out. Half the Clemson Tigers initially tested positive. They put everybody in the quarantine together, and now reports are saying since then nobody's tested positive, which could be feasible if they're all on campus and they're not allowed to go home at all. But what happens when the games start being played? What happens if somebody does test positive when the season starts? Conferences are moving to just conference play to limit the amount of travel, which makes sense. But again, what is the testing protocol? So parents, where are you? Where are you, parents? Your child is in the hands of a person you don't know really well. 
He sold you a bag of goods when he sat on your couch and said he'd take care of your kid. Now we're in the middle of a pandemic. You're allowing your kid to play the game that he loves, which makes sense. But what are the testing protocols? Because these are the same people that are going to flip shit if, God forbid, one of their kids were to get sick and get COVID while in training camp for a team that is profiting off of their athleticism, off of their names and their talents. And what they're repaying them back with is a scholarship to get a degree in communications or anything else that they deem useless because in their minds, they're going to the NFL. So where are the parents at? Where are all the angry parents that bitch about everything else under the sun but nobody's coming out and standing up for their kid in this moment. Meanwhile, it's just business as usual. These schools are just trying to get their billions of dollars so they can stop cutting sports because everything is funded through football at all the major Power 5 conference schools. And nobody's talking about this. NBA is restarting. MLB's restarted, NHL's restarted, Major League Soccer's restarted, both at home and abroad. The NCAA is really trying to do this for sheer profit, for sheer profit. And nobody, and when I say nobody, I mean no parent is raising hell, right? Why would the coaches raise hell about this? They're just trying to get paid. Why would the dean of admissions raise shit about this? They're already getting paid. They're straight. Right? Everybody's eating off of these kids. Again, they're not a part of a union. And nobody has a problem with the fact that football has no protocol. Baseball's already had issues with COVID. Basketball has created a bubble to sidestep this issue. And right now it's working, but we still don't know what's going to happen down the road. Football has zero protocols. And remember, you're standing face-to-face with the person that you're going up against. If you're a lineman on offense, you're going up against D-lineman. Cornerbacks, right up there against the receivers. Running back gets the ball, what's he going to do? Nobody's going to move for him. They're going to try to tackle him, right? That's all that breathing, all that shit talking. Right up in people's faces. And there's no protocols in place, but these kids are on campus right now getting ready for fall football, fall football, which technically would start next month, technically. But we don't seem to have a problem with that. Anybody else think that's kind of stupid? Or is it just me? And mind you, I don't have children. So I'm not talking to you as a concerned parent. I'm talking to you as a fucking person with common sense, right? That really doesn't make any sense at all, zero. Shout out to all the powers to be at the NCAA that aren't doing shit. Shout out to all the parents that are just hoping that their kids don't get COVID so they can go to the league and they can stop being poor. Way to go. Way to be the protector that you were supposed to be. And way to go, coaches. The guys who go into your home, sit on your couch, and tell you that they're going to protect your child for the next three to four years. Fucking lies. That's the NCAA in a nutshell. Fucking lies. Billions and billions of dollars being made off of athletes 
And the percentages of the ones that actually make it crazy in comparison to the ones that don't. And it doesn't even matter because the people at the top continue to eat. Shout out to Nick Saban. Shout out to Dallas Sweeney. Shout out to Jimbo Fisher winning one championship. And this guy's out here getting paid out the ass. And they're all safe. Their families are safe. Right? Because they keep the machine going. And the machine is the NCAA. What a fucking definition of modern day slavery. Good job. Good job, NCAA. We salute you for being the douchebags of America. Way to go. That league want to see you doing good. They don't just get rich, leave you in the hood. In my eyes, NBA, you the baddest. The reason why they hate you, they don't love you because your blackness. We back, baby. NBA is back. First two games were better than I could have ever expected. Better than anybody could have anticipated. If anybody has talking shit on social media about the NBA restart right now, then you're just full of shit. And you don't like basketball. And you don't like black power. You don't like minority power. You don't like none of the shit that we are standing for right now as a community and as the NBA is doing in front of the entire fucking world. So eat everything if you don't like it. First of all... Can never be serious in this damn cave. The beginning of both games, extremely powerful. You got both teams in unison, coaches, trainers, everybody in the staff kneeling for the national anthem. Black Lives Matter on the court. It was perfect. It was beautiful. The commercials leading up to the intro for both games were all about clips of player empowerment, community movement. And you're seeing the NBA's best players from each team standing toe-to-toe with the communities that are being most affected by social injustice, racism, police brutality. The NBA allowed their players to not just have a voice, but be the voice for the communities that the NBA's owners capitalize on year after year because at the end of the day the nba is still owned by predominantly white men with the exception of michael jordan and the charlotte hornets everybody knows that story and for the league to just take a step back and allow their players to do their thing to speak their truth and to hold down the communities that they once lived in once came from and yes now they are out of those communities but they still understand what's going on because just because they're out doesn't mean that the people that they love are as well. So shout out to the NBA for that. Shout out to Adam Silver for being a great commissioner. And shout out to all the players and coaches that have not lost sight of what's important and what's going on right now socially. It's a beautiful thing. But it's also beautiful to have sports back. And to feel like, for once, it was a normal Thursday. And it was fantastic. So we got it started With the Jazz and the Pelicans, we had three players on each team going for over 20 points. On the Jazz, you had Clarkson coming off the bench, giving you over 20, which was a pleasant surprise. Donovan Mitchell coming in with 20. Mike Connolly coming in with 20. On the Pelican side, you have my man J.J. Reddick coming off the bench, giving you over 20. You had the ever-so-smooth and consistent 
Drew Holiday giving you 20, and B.I., Brandon Ingram coming into his own, becoming an NBA superstar right in front of our eyes, also adding 20. Plus, you had Zion Williamson giving you 15 points in 13 minutes. Felt like he could have played more minutes. Felt like the Pelicans should have acted like that was way more of an important game for them than it was to the Jazz, who have the fourth seat locked up. And if they fall one or two seeds, it's really not a big deal. But the Pelicans are fighting to get into that position to fight with potentially the Blazers for that playing game. That was interesting. Utah was down that entire game, came back at the end, did their thing. Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert have looked like they have temporarily put their issues aside and were balling in the fourth quarter. Like I said, Jordan Clarkson kept him in that game the entire time. Utah looked pretty good, man. Utah looked pretty good. The Pelicans looked fantastic up until the end. And I think a lot of that is just the fact that they didn't want to down, you know, ride Zion too much, given the fact that he was away on vacation because of some family stuff and all this other stuff. But at the end of the day, he's still 19 years old, man. You got to ride that dude for way more than 15 minutes, especially when every game counts. So I don't understand that. But overall, great game. Great game to watch. Didn't even notice that there was a lot of crowd there, so that was super dope. Appreciate you for that, NBA. Second game, L.A. on L.A. crime. Clippers and the Lakers. Game went back and forth. A.D. was hot early, doing his thing. P.G. on the other end, doing his thing. It was entertaining back and forth game. Both teams took leads. Back and forth. It was fantastic. LeBron was just chilling. Kind of picking his moments to score, facilitating, doing LeBron James things. AD was leading the way. Clippers made a run at the end. Looked like the Clippers had it in the bag. But the defense fell apart. I don't know what's up with this whole Kawhi Leonard, Paul George not stepping up to the plate and taking LeBron James on in the closing seconds. And then that last play was just... Pretty atrocious. Pretty atrocious. You got Kawhi Leonard tries to go to his patented mid-range move. Doesn't work. Kicks it out. And instead of just going right back to Kawhi, for some reason, Paul George, I guess he was feeling it a little bit, 30 points in the game. You know what I mean? He was probably feeling himself. Figured he was hot. But he didn't make a definitive move. He kind of just got stuck in no man's land, put up a terrible shot. But it doesn't matter because these are the one and two seasons in the West. They're not going to change. That's not going to happen. So the mission for them was to get their bodies right, get everybody back in the groove, and at the same time, make sure everybody came out healthy, which they did. Success all around. Clippers are still minus Harold and Lou Williams. He's trying to come back from Magic City. And I don't even know what Montreal Harold is, but I think he'll be back soon. So overall, successful first day in the NBA. It was fantastic to have everybody back. Tomorrow, we have... A bunch of games going on. Should be extremely interesting. The big game was supposed to be the Blazers and my man John Moran and his Grizzlies. However, there were some reports earlier today that Dame Dollar dealing with some foot inflammation. Lower foot inflammation. Which, if you're an athlete, you know that that is code for plantar fasciitis. Plantar fasciitis is extremely painful. It's very hard to play on, especially if you're a guard who depends on his footwork and his step backs and his 40-foot threes and his getting to the cup and being able to dish, 
drive, distribute. That's going to be an interesting thing. So we're going to see how the Blazers, who are fighting for a playoff spot, mind you, are going to handle his minutes, especially in the first game. You're going up against a young Grizzly squad. You got John Morant. You got Jaron Jackson. You got Brandon Clark coming off the bench. Grayson Allen. You got a, you got a squad. A young squad. Young legs. They're not going to be scared. They're going to be ready. They're going to be hungry to prove that they deserve that A spot. And everybody else that's trying to come get it, wasting their time. I think John Morant wants to get to the playoffs and show who he is, even if it's short, even if it's against the Lakers and they fall out in the first round. I think that's going to be very, very interesting. By the way, shout out to my man, Andre, CEO of El Guadito Productions. He is currently producing the snoring that we have in the background right now. So if you hear my man making those magic sounds, it's because he has some popping wings from Magic City. That's right, y'all. Magic City is on the low producing our entire show. We thank you, Magic City. Shout out to you and Atlanta and that entire stripper scene. Not that I've ever been to a strip club in Atlanta, but I've heard good things. I've heard good things. All right. So that's the slate for tomorrow. We got about six games NBA. We got a whole bunch of baseball. Shout out to my Yankees. Shout out to Aaron Judge coming through big. Three-run home run. Take that game. Thank you very much. Put that on our tab. And hopefully we get to move on to the next city, COVID-free, just like the rest of MLB, so we can keep this thing moving and keep sports going. Now to the other big news of the day. Tom Thibodeau. Officially hired by the New York Knicks. Now, before I go and give my very specific opinion about this hire, I just want to say that I grew up in New York. I have a ton of friends that are still New York Knicks fans to this day currently, which in itself to me is an amazing accomplishment because, God, they've been awful for so long. So they're rejoicing just like they were. A couple of years back when Phil Jackson got hired, same rejoicing. Just like when Carmelo and Stoudemire got teamed up, same rejoicing. I'm sad to say, I think it's going to end up in the same sad ending. And here's why. You got Leon Rose, agent turned basketball operator. Great. That's cute. He's got some connections. He used to represent a bunch of superstars. So in theory, he should be able to bring people back to New York, bring the magic back to New York City and the New York Knicks, the mecca of basketball, right? I don't really see it happening. I'll get that. I'll get to why in a minute. Then you have World Wide West. Everybody's loving this whole World Wide West hire, right? He's got a bunch of connections as well. Got his hand in a bunch of different pots, some important pots, some may say. He should be able to sway some people to the New York Knicks, right? All right, cool. Still owned by an owner who for some reason continues to sabotage his cash cow. He doesn't do that with the New York Rangers, who he owns, by the way, right? Hires the right people, lets them do their thing. They're regarded in the NHL as a pretty good franchise. Very well run, pretty successful over the years. Kind of a place you'd want to go if you're a free agent. Destination, some would say. 
Not so much with the Knicks. This dude, year after year, has continued to sabotage anything that could be good with New York, has the potential to be good in New York, or even starts out good in New York. Now, I don't know why that is, but he's a problem. And he's still there. He's still your owner. Still your owner. Every athlete that plays for him says great things about him. That's cool. But that shit doesn't prove anything on the court because they continuously put on a crap product. They pack the house. He makes his money. Those fans keep coming back. They keep selling out. And yet the product is straight trash. Trash. And if you've ever played basketball in New York for more than, I don't know, an hour, you know that everybody in that city that comes from those not-so-fun places that we like to call the hood Ball's out. Knows about ball. How to play. Knowledgeable. They know what they're talking about. They know what they're looking at. And it's always trash. It's been trash like that for at least 10 years. And it's so sad. So now you go and hire this guy, Tom Thibodeau, who I used to love. Why? Because I'm a Chicago Bulls fan. Been a Chicago Bulls fan my entire life. We'll get into that one day as to why. However, Tibbs was the man. We had him in the Bulls when we had Derrick Rose. Turned him into an all-star. Luol Dang. Turned him into an all-star. Joakim Noah. Turned him into an all-star. Jimmy Butler. Turned him into an all-star. But here's also what Tibbs did. Kept Derrick Rose. In way too long. In a playoff game that we already had won. We had it locked up. What happened to him? Towards ACL. Never been the same again. Luau Dang. I think he played him the most minutes. Or second most minutes. For like three years in a row. Luau Dang. Left the Bulls. And was never the same person again ever. Because we ran him into the ground. And by we I mean Tom Thibodeau. Joakim Noah had a couple of good years, played a ton of minutes as well, ran into the ground. Jimmy Butler, the only person that hasn't been running to the ground as of yet. However, when Tibbs went to Minnesota with another young team, pretty decent nucleus at the time. You had Towns in there. You had Levine in there. You had Wiggins in there. Theoretically, that was a young team full of athleticism. For the youth, man, they should have been able to run up and down that court. They should have been able to lock up on D. None of that happened. He's a defensive specialist. None of that happened. So now you're telling me that the guy who lasted a year and a half, and he had all the control in Minnesota, year and a half, is going to come into New York, one or two years removed from coaching, and he should have, what, in theory, learned a ton of lessons to now relate to today's NBA player to be able to develop young players now. And you expect him to be successful for the next five years with the same crap owner. And nothing has shown me that Tim Thibodeau is ready to not play his best players 40 minutes a game, which is not conducive to what goes on today in the NBA, which is what? Managing the player. 
managing their time on the court, right? Load management. Everybody hates it, but it's a thing, and it ain't going nowhere. And I don't think Tom Thibodeau has shown that he embraces that shit at all. So as all of New York fans are rejoicing for whatever reason they are, I ain't sold. I ain't sold. Win a couple of games first. Turn R.J. Barrett, who has a bunch of talent, into an all-star. Try to fix Kevin Knox. Don't ruin Robinson. Come up with a good staff. Maybe a staff that has an offensive-minded assistant head coach so that you can just focus on defense because clearly your offensive repertoire is not very diverse. Do all that, get a good free agent or two, and a good young free agent. Not one of these washed-ass dudes that you're going to give a retarded contract to. Let me take that back. A bad contract to, because we don't like to use the word retarded on this podcast. So a bad contract to, a la Amari Stoudemire, whose knees were completely shot when you gave him that ridiculous contract, and then stuck Carmelo Anthony with his ass for way too long. That's a story for another day, Nick History. Show me you can put a team together first around the guys that you already have, the high draft pick you're going to have, and show me Tibbs can make this team, let's say, 10 games better. If Tibbs can take last year's squad with a new draft pick and potentially one free agent that they're going to be able to get if they get lucky, and give me a 10, 10 to 20 win difference of improvement, then maybe I'll be excited for it. Maybe I'll be excited for all my friends that right at this moment are so excited, so jubilant. And by this time next year, we'll probably be wishing that he was fired. Because there were a plethora of young coaches. You had Emia Duco from the Spurs. You had anybody else on the Spurs for that matter. Then you had Mark Jackson, who clearly shows that he could elevate players a la Golden State Warriors. Because when Steve Kerr got there, that team was ready to roll. All they needed was a better offensive system because Mark Jackson's offensive system was not the greatest. But I'm sure he's learned from that. You could have went Jeff Van Gundy route. At least Jeff Van Gundy has proven that he can put people in place to offset his deficiencies to win. Because he did it in Houston after doing it in New York with Pat Riley's old team. Right? So at least that's been proven over the course of more than one team. All right? So until Tibbs doesn't sabotage multiple people's careers, doesn't take an NBA gem and destroy his entire legacy by playing him meaningless minutes in a game, I'm not sold on Tom Timodeau, the guy who I love, the guy who made my Bulls relevant again for a short period of time. So that was what was popping today in the world of the NBA. The grand scheme of things, the NBA is back. Baseball is COVID-free outside of the Marlins right now, so that means we get to keep things moving, even though the Phillies have postponed anything in Philadelphia moving forward. But that doesn't mean that they can't play off-site at away games, so hopefully they'll be back on track soon. And we'll keep this thing moving COVID-free, issue-free, and we'll keep on watching the NBA do their thing, Keep the focus on Black Lives Matter while keeping us entertained and giving us a mental break from all this COVID stuff, all this being at home stuff, all this wearing a mask, all the damn time stuff. 
And I'm going to sit back and hope that NFL doesn't ruin, ruin the golden opportunity they have in front of them to learn from everybody's mistakes, all the things that some of these leagues did well, and capitalize on it to make sure that we have a football season because people are feeding to play fantasy football, myself included. And honestly, it would give me a ton more to talk about in my podcast because I don't really talk about fantasy baseball. I don't play it. Fantasy basketball, it's kind of over. The restart didn't restart my fantasy basketball league, which sucks because I think I was in third place. I had a great team. I think I could have won some money, but that sucks. Anyway, special shout out to Baby Lucas. Now into the world of Yankee fandom. Can't wait to see you watch Glaber Torres and be excited as you grow up. And also, shout out to Gordito Productions for providing me with the background noise that I would have otherwise not been able to edit in. Shout out to my man GQ, the best DJ in all of Philadelphia, for doing all the engineering. And shout out to my man Muhammad for cooking us a fantastic meal, which we did not get to show you, but we will put it up on IG later. And last but not least, shout out to all of our sponsors. <laughs> and when I say sponsors, I mean the people that we sponsored today. Shout out to Target, who took some of my money by having some Clorox wipes and some antibacterial, the big bottles. Shout out to Popeye's making a chicken sandwich that's so addictive that when my friends try to explain to me the last time they had Popeyes, they start to salivate about the Popeyes they now want tomorrow. I don't know what you're doing, Popeyes, but you really turned the minority community out. Some commercials are clearly real. Special shout out to Knob Creek, Red Spot, and El Mahor. These are the three things that we drank today in the man cave. And we will be highlighting all the things that we drink in a man cave. And we splash them all with a refreshing ginger beer by Jackie Ginger. That's right, y'all. Episode two is in the books. Scrap Cave, we out here. Follow us on Spotcast on Spotify. Whoops. Spodcast. What is that? Podcast and Spotify together. Wow, they had a baby. That'd be interesting. Follow us on Spotify. Follow us on Twitter. And we'll be back at y'all. First thing Tuesday with another episode, y'all. Stay blessed. Stay safe. Mask up. We out.